Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales in the studio in Philo with Dr. Drew Colfax. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. Here we are again. Same as it ever was. Local coronavirus update. (laughs) Monday afternoon, 3 o'clock. Although it is different because we're here Mondays only from 3 to 4. We'll be here for the whole hour. If we can make it that far. Yes, if people call, which I don't know. Uh, Do you think they'll call? An hour on COVID seems... A weekly hour on COVID seems long, but we'll we'll see how the interest sustains. I think there's some interest, though. I mean, anyway, okay, enough of that. What is the latest? The latest is continued uh, good news. I know we might need to change our theme song soon, but things are improving locally, statewide, and nationally in a steady sort of way. Uh, whether that continues to um, progress in that fashion remains to be seen, but the numbers are quite good locally. We added only 29 cases in one week, Um, if you can imagine that. Uh, We were adding close to that many in a single day um, a month or two ago. So right right now, in the county, we are at 3,845 new cases. We're adding, on average, down uh, 3.7 cases a day, and our positivity, um, albeit with very low sampling, is 2.7%. So that's come down from the 7 sort of range that we had um, up until even a couple weeks ago. Only 110 people are in isolation and quarantine. Um, Hospital utilization is quite manageable. Only four in the hospital as of uh, yesterday afternoon, evening, uh, with one in the ICU. California, similarly um, very good shape. 35% decrease uh, over the last two weeks in the number of new cases. 12% decrease in the number of deaths. Um, And nationally, we are down to under 60,000 cases a day, um, rolling rolling seven-day average. So down about 12% over the course of the last uh, 10 days or so. So things continue to improve um, quite significantly. The, the, the COVID heat maps that we're all familiar with are no longer bright red or orange, um, depending or purple, depending on which map you go to. They are in the, in the more pale shades right now. So that's quite good. Um, what is still of significant concern to people who wish to think about these things, or for those of us who have to think about these uh, things, are the um, multiple variants that are popping up all over the place, both in this country and around the world. And the question really are are multiple. Um, One is, can we vaccinate ourselves um, away from them fast enough? Um, And then secondly, how much resistance do they have to the vaccines? Uh, And then thirdly, how much more readily are they transmitted um, amongst um, people who are either vaccinated or or not vaccinated. And all those are still remarkably fairly open questions. That That is a very good question. Yes, it's, it's really, <laughs> it all is the question of the moment, get... is how how much are these strains going to affect um, our vaccine right. control of this pandemic? And are because we just going to be having to get vaccinated forever? Endless vaccine clinics? No, I, that's not that's not ever going to happen. What may happen is, you know, as one or two or three of these strains really become the predominant strains, and if there's evidence that they actually do have a fair amount of resistance, um, 
to the vaccine or ability to you know trans make people sick or allow for transmission even if these people are vaccinated then there will be a booster shot developed and probably deployed fairly quickly um to um prevent that from becoming sort of a recurrent uh pandemic surge well and we've also got new cdc guidelines right yes so suddenly the country just got got divided into two um unfortunately oh you mean vaccinated and unvaccinated yes ah see now this is cdc is answering the questions everybody was calling about last monday which is now that i'm vaccinated yes can i go hang out with my grandkids yes and and the cdc finally um you know i I sort of hemmed and hauled as as i want to do around the around the delicate question of whether an octogenarian who's fully vaccinated can get together with their infant grandson or daughter um and the cdc essentially said that's fine um as of this morning um and it makes good biologic sense but it obviously Obviously, creates this chasm between those of us who are vaccinated and those of us who are not. Um, interestingly and appropriately, I think they did say that even if you're fully vaccinated, you need to continue to do everything out in public that everybody else does. Their rationale for that is. Um, plausible, which is to say, we really don't know if fully vaccinated people can transmit the vaccine or not. I think the subtext of their um, recommendation or their guideline is really that people lie. Um, and so are you going to really believe oh, the the, right. the chowderhead next to you who's coughing and coughing while you're trying to pick up groceries at the A&P and he says, don't worry, I'm fully vaccinated. I know I'm not. And it's not as though we're going to carry around our vaccine card on a, you know, on a neck lanyard so you can actually see <laughs> that they have a two-stamp vaccine card. Um, so that's, I think, Purple really, yeah, I think that's really why um, that's going to become um, more or less a permanent recommendation until the pandemic is more tightly controlled or until our vaccine numbers get into the herd immunity um, uh-huh. range. But we're not even close yet to seeing if we can make it to herd immunity because we're still in the 30 percent no correct we're not we're not we're not close to the you know sort of the perhaps it's the 70 percent perhaps it's the 80 or 85 or 90 percent depending you know on how virulent these new strains are and how prevalent they become it could even be you know 90 or even higher for her for effective herd immunity but we are now in the range where the um the number of new hosts is decreasing for the virus um both locally and um, statewide and nationally. There are enough people who have either had COVID um, or who have had the vaccine that there simply aren't as many naive hosts for the virus. Um, and so that's going to help keep this curve on a downward trajectory or at least keep it from significantly e- increasing unless these variants sort of change the analysis. And we still just don't know that. Right. Okay. Another thing, I just talked with uh, with a woman at the county who's in charge of the vaccine effort, and she confirmed that uh, the state has entered into the beginning of phase one C. So all of phase one A, all of phase one B, and now the beginning of phase one C, which includes people who work in journalism. So let's just be clear that in this model of clarity, there is phase 1A tiers 1, 2, and 3. Uh, There's phase 1B tiers 1, 2, and 3. And now we are finally moving into phase, I guess, 1C. Yes. I don't think there's even a phase 2, but it'll just continue down the 1 
B, A, B, C, D, E sort of algorithm. I don't know, but it was the one I've been waiting for, so Yay! I am very happy about that. Um, but with the caveat that uh, ongoing meetings are happening with the state, and the state wants to focus, they want to shift to this different, <laughs> of course, index, which is this HPI, or the Healthy Places Index, which is uh, this kind of measure of how people's health is doing. They're trying to tackle the disparities in uh, who's getting this vaccine, because, of course, white people are getting the majority of the vaccine, and it's disproportionate, uh, you know, that the Latinos and, and blacks are not getting uh, as much of the vaccine as they are the percentage of the population. So the state is looking at this Healthy Places Index as a way to, uh, to reach, to increase the vaccine numbers to places that have a low health index so we don't know how that's all going to wash out in terms of yeah the and i think trying to deploy that's going to become very very difficult i mean the places that are less healthy have fewer health care providers and they have fewer uptake of health care resources so getting getting that um, rolled out and uh, deployed in real time um, is going to be difficult it's a laudable goal um, the perhaps better strategy would be to simply ship more vaccine um you know to everywhere that can use it and administer it the low-hanging fruit however is soon going to be all plucked um you know it's going to become much more difficult to have a crush of people showing up on 12 hours notice for a vaccine event and administer 800 shots um in the weeks going forward in this county yeah, which exactly right which is you know both good and bad it will free up more vaccine to be distributed to other regions of the state that are not quite as efficient um, as we are here in Mendocino County. Although I can't quite believe I said efficient in Mendocino County. <laughs> now, in one now. Sentence. We're um, fifth. We are fifth in the state for um, yeah, per no, capita we, vaccines. We are doing very, very we're well getting the vaccine butt. in arms. Um, it's, yeah. and, and while we're talking about numbers, um, public health has administered 22,000 um, vaccines um, in total and adventist um has administered 16,000 vaccines in total or approximately 16 so those two numbers alone that's 38,000 vaccines at a minimum that's 19,000 people fully vaccinated but a significant fraction of those just reflect the first of a two-dose system so we're looking at probably third close to 30,000 people vaccinated in this county of 85,000 um, we have almost 4,000 people who have had COVID. I think we can safely multiply that by two, let's say, or three. So call that another 10,000. And we're looking at approximately 50% of the county that has immunity to COVID, uh, which is not herd immunity, but it's pretty darn good. And our numbers are reflecting that, right? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. It's uh, weird how that works. Amazing. Science. Amazing. Yeah. Science. Gosh, it's incredible. Um, okay, let me go through the vaccine events that I know of that are happening. And you in the have a long week. list there. It's a long list. Yeah. Yes. Sit tight, everyone. Get your pencils ready. <laughs> so, On your mark. And, and I, there's no guarantee. This is just what I know right now. And I have confirmed all of these with the, with the um, places that are hosting them. Okay, so the county's vaccine events. They are holding a vaccine event tomorrow, Tuesday. This is a first-dose event at the Ukiah Fairgrounds from 9 to 3, and you can get an appointment and find out how to register at mendocinocounty.org. They have um, a sign-up page there, and you can click and, and, and sign up. 
They are having another event on Thursday. It's a first and a second dose event. And this sign-up isn't yet posted, but will be posted at MendocinoCounty.org. So go ahead and keep an eye on that page. Uh, Bookmark it. And then Saturday, they're having a primarily second-dose event. And since it's a second-dose event, the folks are mostly scheduled. And, and I was told that that has been scheduled with, uh, the county has been doing a pilot project with the My Turn website through the state that, they, that the state has set up. So those are mostly scheduled through, through My Turn, but um, there is a, a second dose event happening on Saturday. So you can go to MendocinoCounty.org or you can call 472-2759 for more information about those three events. And then I spoke at length with Supervisor Williams, who is working to organize an event on the coast on Friday. They have 750 Pfizer doses, and they're going to be holding this event at the Casper Community Center. It's going to be a a hybrid, so it'll it'll have some drive up and some walk in uh, event uh, aspect to it. And there are signups are going to be available using the state's my turn system but the link isn't available yet so the link will be available later this week and there is room for non-medical volunteers but they need to sign up through nco's volunteer network and that's first dose right the casper event i did not get a confirmation i believe it is but it must be because the novo center right well if people are needing to sign up for it yeah yeah, yeah. I, am, I, I presume it would be a first dose event. Yeah. And, it's and that's, that's going to be open to phases one, all, all the of way one through a. 1C or C. It's 1C, I presume. I mean, okay, so the, how this got announced, the 1C thing, is that they moved the push pin on the graphic, the infographic yes, on the no, county. Well, it's a very <laughs> slow moving push pin. It, it has about a 10 day delay time. Oh. Oh. No. Well, I really appreciated that it was in one C. So um, th- that's what I'm going with that, and that was confirmed to me by Darcy Antle this afternoon. Good. So All right. we'll go with that. Um, okay, Adventist is holding three events this week. They've been really scheduling them sort of at regular times and, and places. So on the coast at CV Star Center in Fort Bragg on Thursday, Ukiah at Alex Rohrbaugh Center on Wednesday, and uh, I don't have a confirmation for Willits yet. I'll work on it. Uh, but you can follow their um, announcements at their Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Ukiah Valley. Or they have A.H. Mendocino Coast or A.H. Howard Memorial to be alerted about vaccine appointments. And then they post a link to their sign-up genius. I kid you not, this is my life. I kid you not, I have never been on Facebook. Well, lucky you. I, I, I suffer, so you don't have to. <laughs> Uh, so that's there, there are three Facebook pages for the three Adventist hospitals in our county, and that is where they post. And I would give you the link to the Sign Up Genius, but it's like this long gobbledygook of forward slash backslash numbers letters blah blah blah. So yeah. Google it. Yeah, if you need to. <laughs> no, won't even work to yeah. Google it. You just have to go to their Facebook page. Yeah. Um, yes. No. Okay. MCC Mendocino Coast Clinics in Fort Bragg is holding a drive-through vaccine event on Friday, the twelfth, and you got a call to make an appointment for this one, nine six four one two five one, and and I'm told by MCC there are newly added categories to the approved tier if you work in healthcare, food service, agriculture, logging, education, lodging, emergency services, or are sixty-five and over or turning 65 this year, you now qualify. If you have one of the following health conditions and are age 16 to 64, you qualify, but you need a note 
from your health care provider. It's stage four chronic kidney disease, oxygen-dependent chronic lung disease, cancer, heart disease, uh, or are immunocompromised from chemotherapy or other medical conditions, have diabetes with an A1C of 7.5% or more, obesity with a BMI of greater than 40, sickle cell disease, pregnant, or have other qualifying chronic disabilities, ask your medical provider if you qualify. And that is that list of diseases is the same list verbatim as the one that the county is using for the qualifying conditions under Phase 1B Tier 3. Do you think we've lost everyone by now? I hope so. Boy, if, if anybody's <laughs> actually following this... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know who's following it? It's people who want to get this shot. I know. Well, my recommendation to people who want to get the shot is to sign up either on your local clinic health... Um, page or survey or through my turn, put in your age, your health conditions, and you know, kind of follow all of our clear as mud <laughs> dictates. And if you feel like you should be um, contacted and you aren't contacted within a week, then reach out and find out um, why. Yeah, uh, it's best to be you know signed up and have them say no, you're not part of our tier yet, rather than just wait for the opportunity to be certain that you are eligible. Right. Okay. One more. And this goes right in, in along with what you've been saying, Long Valley Health Clinic in Laytonville. So for our North County listeners, uh, there's a Tuesday vaccination event. That's tomorrow. Uh, patients will be notified. If you're not their patient or have not been in the clinic in the last two years, you can sign up on their SurveyMonkey, which is, here's a link. It's one of those links. Ready? It's surveymonkey.com slash r slash LVHC underscore covid underscore vaccine I, I i suspect though i'm not certain that you could also go to the long valley health center web page and find it there or you can call them yeah and that's at 984-6131 extension 114 and that's to be put on their covid vaccine interest list so just what you were saying like be in touch with the clinic let them know just, you want the vaccine yeah it's good all right that's all i got that's it yeah all right i'm sure there are others Phew. All right, before we start taking phone calls, a couple emailed calls. Great. Um, I had a question. There was an emailed question about whether you can get Bell's palsy from this vaccine um, and whether Bell's palsy um, is worse um, than what we call long COVID um, or not. The answer is, yeah, presumably you can get Bell's palsy from this vaccine. That's one of the very rare... um, effects um, or adverse outcomes that we see associated with this uh, with viral vaccines primarily it is quite rare we haven't seen a significant number of them um, but the autoimmune sort of nerve conditions um, of which Bell's palsy is one um, can be triggered by a vaccine such as um, the ones we're currently using for COVID I don't think there's a significant number of cases um, I haven't seen a significant number of cases reported um, in the context of these vaccines so that's a very rare type of outcome Frankly, long COVID is also fairly rare, but it is certainly much worse from what I have seen than Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy is generally fairly self-limiting without a lot of um, um, long-term sequelae. So 
Yeah, there are going to be adverse events from the vaccine. What's going to be much more common is bad things happening to people right after they get the vaccine. So if you get if you get the COVID vaccine and you have a heart attack the next day, that's not because you got the COVID vaccine. That's just because you had a heart attack the next day. Um, and so the same with the same with Bell's palsy, and the same with a lot of these other conditions. They will there will be coincidences, and there will also be some causality. And you know that's something that's being tracked quite closely by each of the vaccine makers. You know the other bad thing that might happen at the day after you get the vaccine or in the days after is um, thinking that you are suddenly immune from COVID, which happened in my household with my teenager who did get the vaccine this week. Well, because teenagers a, are pretty sure they're going to live forever. A job yeah. At, yeah. at a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then wanted to go riding around with his friends with no masks on. So yeah. uh, we had a, a conversation about why that's not a good idea, but it's probably good. You to mean really to mention. tell me he does not listen to the local coronavirus update you know, every week? Really? Yeah. He, he, it's, he can't get away from the COVID updates, yeah. but no, yeah. even my son was not sure that, you know, you could you don't have immunity the day or two after you get your first shot and let's just you know, let's just circle back to what the cdc said this morning because we sort of glossed over that pretty quickly they they really did issue guidelines this morning saying that within the same families um it's okay for fully vaccinated um essentially elderly people because that's the majority of people who have been vaccinated at this point in this country um individuals to get together with their family members in the same household essentially to gather indoors without masks the rationale being that the at-risk individual is now vaccinated with a highly effective vaccine at least in terms of protecting against severe disease or death um, and that the other people in the household are fairly low risk of contracting covid um, and particularly at low risk of contacting COVID from the fully vaccinated, let's say, grandparent. So that's the rationale, but it certainly does not apply to any situations outside of household gatherings. All right, we have a question from the email, but just before we open up the phone lines, that I think a lot of people are wondering, which is, um, this person says they live here in the Valley, they're vaccine eligible, and they understand the argument for taking whichever one is offered, but they really are only interested in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Any idea if or when it may be available here or anywhere else that this person might be able to get it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'm not sure the rationale, but um, that the the... The word on the street is that we're going to start getting J&J vaccine probably sometime next week. I don't think any supply is going to be arriving in the county this week. We may get a very small amount um, sometime next week, whether that actually gets um, distributed and deployed, um, and whether that's through county or Adventist. Uh, my money's on Adventist being the first to administer um, J&J vaccine in the county, but I really am not privy to the supply chain questions. Um, I suspect that that uh, preference um, is really revolving around the side effects of the second um, or the booster shot. I, I don't know that, um, but that, that's my suspicion. I you know there is some effect from um, the second shot it, uh, that does happen to some number of people it happened to me it happened to a lot of people i work with it's entirely tolerable however i mean it's it's really a fairly good trade-off to feel 
kind of lousy, but not terribly bad for about 24 hours um, and know that you have then very good immunity. So I really would urge people to take whichever vaccine you can get um, and for which you are qualified as soon as you can as soon as you can get it. But, you know, we all have our little picadellas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so we ready to open up the phone lines? Sure. All right. It's 707-895-2448. We welcome your calls. Whether or not you've ever called before, we'd love to hear from you. It's 895-2448. We'll take our first call. Oh, by the way, we're going until 4 o'clock this afternoon, so there's still plenty of time for calls. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. Great. Okay, I have two questions. The first is I understand that this messenger RNA, I don't know if it's the exact method it does it, but it stimulates or somehow gets the body to produce the protein so that the antibodies will um, uh, work against those uh, proteins. Now, how... Does the body then know when to stop making those proteins? It seems to me that if the body just keeps making those proteins forever, the antibodies will be continuing to work all the time, and wouldn't that be considered a chronic illness? So that's my first question. And my second question is um, each, uh, each medication is supposed to come with an insert that lists all the uh, contraindications to doing that. So um, are those inserts available to the public for each of these different vaccinations? How would we get those inserts to know if we fall into the category of contraindications? And I'll hang up. Okay, so good questions, and I'll answer this second question first. Um, there, there is a very small insert that comes with these vaccines. It's not terribly informative, and the contraindications um, are essentially zero um, unless you are significantly immune suppressed, and even in that case, we're talking, you know, you're under the care of an oncologist type of immune suppression, um, and even then, that oncologist, I suspect, is going to tell you to go ahead and get the vaccine. Um, so, there are maybe a handful of people in this county um, who should have that conversation. Um, you know who you are, I suspect. Um, but the, the the rest of us um, really don't have contraindications against either of these two vaccines or the soon-to-be-forthcoming J&J. Um, as to the second question, our bodies are constantly making antibodies, right? That's, that's kind of how we stay alive um, since we live in such a um, pestilence live uh, infested uh, milieu. Um, we're constantly being exposed to molds and fungi and bacteria and viruses. You know, a square centimeter of our skin has more bacteria than there are people in the world, right? So we're constantly um, having to develop and um, produce antibodies. All this vaccine does is trigger our immune system to make one additional antibody against a protein that has been induced. But our body is constantly induced to introduce to novel structures and proteins and um, antigens that we are then making antibodies for. Um, and so that does not stay on high alert, however, and I think that gets to the root of your question. Our body doesn't stay on high alert with sort of an overdrive production um, if there isn't additional um, protein um, being manufactured. The vaccine works quite 
briefly, we see a surge of this protein that is manufactured by our body um, by the mRNA code that is contained in the vaccine. But then that breaks down very quickly. It's not like our body is making more of the mRNA. And so it, it produces a surge of this protein that has a unique structure, and our body then is able to recognize it and mount a defense. mRNA, however, is very fragile and breaks down extremely rapidly, which is why both of these vaccines need to be kept frozen. One of them obviously needs to be kept super frozen or ultra frozen um, because mRNA in general is quite fragile and it breaks down. And that's what it does when injected in our body. Its life in our body is quite short indeed. So basically... Our body remembers it, but doesn't have to keep producing it. Our body does not keep producing it because the the code, um, the score, if you will, in terms of like music, um, is is destroyed um, just by natural breakdown process. mRNA doesn't live long in a cell. It sort of codes what it needs to code, and then it falls apart. And that's what happens with this vaccine as well. But the coding then allows these proteins to be built um, and then allow sort of the complex long-term memory immune cells to develop a recollection of what this COVID outer spike protein shell looks like, which is why they're so darn effective. But no, we're not, I don't think we're going to see a long-term chronic illness syndrome, if you will, from the vaccine. What we are seeing, um, or beginning to see, or beginning to think we understand seeing, um, is the long-term syndrome from COVID. Um, And that's going to be much more prevalent and much more debilitating than anything I think we're going to see from any of these vaccines that are going to ultimately be rolled out. All right, this is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. I'm Alicia Bales, and in the studio is Dr. Drew Colfax, as we have been for many, many a month. All right, let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. I just went on for too long. Wow, okay. Caller, you are live on the air. Hello. Um, Yeah, I have some questions about testing and... Okay. Turn off yeah. your radio. Okay, after vaccination. Okay, I need to go down to Southern California for some long-deferred maintenance on my body and some medical procedures. Okay, so my daughter has not been vaccinated yet because she's only 64 and won't jump the line for anything. My son-in-law will be vaccinated. While they're gone, they're coming up here. While they're gone, they're going to be having a house sitter who will have been vaccinated twice. But he'll be staying in the house, and I'll be living in the house there with him for two weeks. Does he need to get tested before and when? And does my daughter need to get tested again? And does my son-in-law, and do I? So the answer is pretty straightforward, and let me just clarify: you're you're fully vaccinated, and this house sitter is yes. going to be fully vaccinated. I presume Except my daughter, right? Your daughter's not, but she's going to be in the house down in Southern California with you. Or? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, she is a potential vector, right? Um, You're fully vaccinated, but your risk of getting sick from this illness is quite low um, at this point. Uh, Your risk of giving it to your daughter is quite low, although we don't really have that um, well quantified yet. Um, But as for testing for any of you, the answer is no. It's really not going to change um, the risk analysis significantly. What you'd be doing testing for is hoping in the office 
off chance that you happen to catch somebody who's asymptomatic during the two to three day period um, that they may be shedding virus and not know that they are sick. And in order for that to be effective, you would need to get tested every couple of days, um, and oh. you would and you would need a timely result from those tests. And that's just not going to happen, um, not in Southern California, not anywhere. And so, really, the question I think that needs to be asked is. Are you um, comfortable staying, you know, your daughter's the person of interest, right? If, if, yeah. you're, if you're going to be in a house um, and everybody else is fully vaccinated, um, when I say fully vaccinated, I mean 10 days um, after your second dose, um, right. then the person who's at risk is your daughter daughter, there is a theoretical risk that you could get COVID um, from your asymptomatic daughter, um, but that, that risk is becoming quite low indeed, particularly with decreasing numbers statewide. Um, and so, you know, weighing your need for some deferred um, body maintenance, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, which, you know, obviously needs to be done. Uh, yeah, the the risk benefit, I think, is starting to tilt in the in in favor of getting that done um, with, you know, the hope and expectation that your daughter would be extremely covid safe um, while you're while you're down there and for the week before you you arrive. Yeah. Okay, is there any way that at 64 she could get vaccinated um, without, you know, jumping the line? Not yet. She does smoke. Yeah, no, smoking doesn't do it. No, Um, okay. She should stop smoking, though. Tell her I told you to tell her that. Okay, I'll tell her. her. I've told her so many times she doesn't listen. Okay, so anyway, okay, good. Thank you so much. I feel much um, safer about going down there then. And I'll just make sure she quarantines. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't need to be the two-week quarantine, um, but if she's in a position, you know, with job and every all of her other responsibilities where she can really minimize her exposures to her community um, for the week before you get down there, um, that would significantly um, minimize what's already a very small risk to you or to her. Okay, good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate the show so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's 707-895-2448. Oh, gosh. Two dial tones. All right. Well, while we're trying to get a live line, we got one. I have well, an email. Well, All right. Take, a, take the call. Take see. the call. Caller, are you there? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Um, hi. Um I have a couple of questions. I take a anti-inflammatory and have a autoimmune disease. I take the anti-inflammatory for something different. And I read that if you have a autoimmune disease that the efficacy could be less for you. It's either with the autoimmune disease or with the anti-inflammatory. So I was wondering about that. The efficacy of the vaccine? Yes. Yeah, we, and, go, go ahead. And then my second question is, I'm really confused uh, on what the mask rule is right now, um, whether in Mendocino County you have to wear a mask um, yeah, the, on, outside or or not. In public spaces, you have to wear a mask in Mendocino County. Um, that, that Regardless of whether you're six feet from somebody or not. 
Correct. If you're, if you're, I mean, you're supposed to wear it even if you're outside, say, on the streets of Ukiah or, or Fort Bragg or Mendocino. Um, you don't need to wear it if you're out in your garden. Um, but if you're, if you're out shopping, running errands, and that sort of thing, which we've all needed to do in the last 13 months, um, then you should be wearing a mask. Okay, I just don't see that happening, and so it's confusing to me. Yeah, well, you know, it's. It, I think we're better than we used to be, but we're also becoming slightly more complacent, which is, you know, going to probably lead to some smaller surge towards the end of April. Um, but, you know, that's, that's still the mandate. That's still um, the science, and that's still a very good idea. So hopefully that rule stays in force until... You know, frankly, probably the fall when we have vaccinated ourselves to herd immunity and we've controlled these variants and we really have a handle on this. It's getting better, but we are clearly not at a point where we can go back toward anything resembling normalcy. Your second question, I, I just need to clarify, you're talking about the efficacy of the vaccine in people who are taking NSAIDs or um, have an autoimmune condition. The Part B of that, um, the efficacy of the vaccine in people with an autoimmune condition, has not been independently studied. Um, if you have an autoimmune condition, you are probably at increased risk of doing less well if you get COVID um, than not. Um, and there may be a slightly higher risk of or high, slightly higher incidence of COVID in fully vaccinated people with autoimmune disease. We just don't have the answer to that particular um, question because it hasn't really been studied in this individual way uh, yet. Eventually, we'll get some sort of retrospective data on that, but that's a, that's an ongoing uh, project that we just haven't seen the, the data dump yet on. Your second question about NSAIDs and the efficacy of the vaccine um, is a good one, and actually, I've had this conversation multiple times, both on and off air. Um, NSAIDs are not going to make your vaccine not work or less effective. It is entirely okay to take ibuprofen or your and said of choice that you tolerate after you are vaccinated. They are not immune modulating drugs. Um, and the vaccine works because it modulates your immune system. Um, what the vac what the NSAIDs do is blunt your body's response to um, developing the appropriate antibodies to um, to this virus. So take your NSAIDs. There's no data um, and there's really no mechanism to suggest that they are going to lower the efficacy of the vaccine. You do not need to sweat it out, so to speak. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yep. All right. Thanks for the call. Thanks. All right. It's 707-895-2448. You want to you answer that email? Sure. I actually have a Boy, it's a multi-part email, um, but they're, they're interesting questions. Um, question one is, how do you think having a reasonably high infection rate and quite a large number of vaccinated people is going to affect viral evolution and growth of variants? Um, and so the, that, that question is really sort of the... <laughs> the the heart of the matter, you know, the virus, the faster it's able to spread um, and the more people that are infected, it's going to allow for greater opportunities for mutations to um, both occur and accumulate if there's some sort of um, biologic advantage to any particular mutation. And if we're seeing, you know, 
60 or 100 or 200 or 300,000 cases a day in this country, that's a lot of viral replication. And any time a virus replicates, there's a small but significant chance that it may mutate. Um, and if it already has mutated and it has an advantage, then it's going to spread that much more quickly. So the answer to that is, yes, it will spread um quickly uh, through our country if it if it has an advantage which is why this B117 otherwise known as the British strain um, is going to become the predominant um, strain of the coronavirus in this country probably by the end of this month um, that's still the prediction um, and it has an advantage because it spreads quickly which means it finds vulnerable hosts uh, more quickly than sort of the slower dumber virus that we had back in the uh, spring and summer um, and that's just evolution at play the faster we get vaccinated and the fewer hosts it has, then the fewer opportunities it will have to further mutate. Um, so that's that's really sort of the the crux of the matter in terms of the interplay of these new strains and the um, vaccination um, battle that we are seeing unfold in real time here. Part B of this multi-part question was well, sort of a long question about children's immune systems doing better if they are exposed to antigens? Um, and the answer is, yes, they do do better. I, I have three kids. Uh, my youngest is 10. My oldest is 14. Um, and when my oldest was 14, we were told by our pediatrician that we should not give our kid peanuts because kids get really bad peanut allergies and some kids die from peanuts. But by the time our 10-year-old came along, we're like, oh, we were wrong. <laughs> um, give the kid peanuts early on in life because that allows their immune system to develop a less over reactive response to the antigen, which was peanuts. Um, and so it really goes to point, not that you know, peanuts are the same as coronavirus, uh, but it does go to illustrate how uh, the science on this has evolved. Uh, and we now know that having a pet in the house, for example, uh, really reduces the risk of things like asthma um, they're dirty. because they are very dirty um, <laughs> and they bring in a lot of dirt um, and that dirt has viruses and bacteria and other sort of healthy generally harm harmless um, things that our bodies have to defend against um, and that just allows your immune system to develop sort of a more copacetic relationship with these antigens um, and so the and this is not really a problem in Mendocino County I dare say but the antibacterial Lysol wiping you know keeping your kitchen counter um, sterilized at all times sort of approach uh, that we might see um, in other communities is not actually promoting good immune system health. It's really not necessary to bleach your vegetables before you eat them upon bringing them home from the store, etc. Well, and I think that the, the emailer was wondering, since we've all been being so clean for 13 months now, are we somehow undermining our own immune systems? Yeah, yeah I, I, I just don't think that even our social distancing is really leading to um, less antigen exposure. What it is doing is decreasing disease transmission um, and there are a lot more antigens out there uh, on the order of multiple magnitudes more that just don't cause diseases but require um, an, an immune response just uh, hug your dog hug your dog that's fine sure <laughs> that'll help but you know things like you know things like the flu there was no flu season this year because we socially distanced and we wore masks and there's high vaccine uptake and voila you know flu is essentially killed for this season which is remarkably good news it is can we take another call sure okay hello caller you're live on the air 
Hi. Um, I had a couple of questions. One of them is um, if you're taking antibiotics or going to be taking antibiotics, does that have any effect on the effectiveness of the vaccine? And the other question is the variants, when they say they're more contagious, and no one said, you know, how they're more contagious. Is it the 15 minutes? Um, it, it does, you know, 15 minutes in a 24-hour period, you're in contact with someone that's a positive case, or now is it only five minutes, or all bets are off, and then is it surfaces now? What makes it more contagious, and how is it more contagious, if you even know? And one more is... Um, I had talked to a woman this morning who got her first COVID vaccine uh, through the county at the fairgrounds in Ukiah, and she was one of those people that they had extras, and she came in and got one. But they didn't make an appointment for her for the second one, and she's tried to contact the county to get a second one, but they're not scheduling them yet. It was my understanding that when you got your first one, they schedule you immediately for the second one. So anyway, that's it for the questions. Thank you. All right. So, taking those questions in order, the antibiotics. If you're on, if you happen to be on antibiotics when you are due to get your COVID vaccine um, shot, go ahead and get your shot. The antibiotics are not going to affect um, the immune uh, response that's triggered by the vaccine. It's, there's no, there's not any risk there. Um, as for your question about the variants, that is still really the open question. The 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 gestalt or the clinical consensus or the scientific consensus that is emerging, although not yet formally um, announced, is that it is going to result in increased level of transmission um, amongst people with a lower amount of time exposure. So you're probably not going to see, uh, you're probably going to start seeing some people who get COVID when they were exposed for less than the 15 minute indoor exposure that we've more or less arbitrarily decided was kind of where you start to get into the danger zone. That, that might get moved down to five minutes. It obviously gets extended if all parties are wearing masks. There is not yet a variant from what we can see that seems to be readily transmitted um, on surfaces. I mean, that was a, a source of great angst um, back in the spring when we didn't understand this thing. Um, but we haven't yet seen too much of too much evidence, if any, of a surface transmission variant uh, emerging either in this country or anywhere else. Um, and then the third question about the friend of yours who was sort of a fill in the end of the COVID vaccine event uh, phenomena that happens, um, that you know, that person should be booked for um, the second dose, but not necessarily at that initial event. Um, but the, once you get the vaccine, you get a card, and the center that is administering that vaccine should requisition the adequate number to fully vaccinate all the people that were vaccinated at any particular event. Right. My understanding is that Adventist does schedule you when you get your first Adventist shot. Adventist schedules you immediately, right. but I don't think public health does at public all of their events. Public health does not, right. So you still have to sign up for your second shot, uh, and they will announce second shot clinics, yes. which is why you know, we were running through that, and they will tell you what dates when you got your first shot are now eligible for the second shot. Right. And, and Pfizer and Moderna are different lengths of time between yes. the first and second shot. Yes, and you know, public health doesn't necessarily know how much they're getting in on any particular day and or particular week. Um, and so I think they're just a little bit more reluctant to schedule people three or four weeks out, yeah. whereas Adventist is part of a big hospital network and they have a slightly more robust supply chain that's thus a little bit more reliable. Um, and so they're able to sort of smooth out the bumps a little bit more.
so to speak. But your friend should and will be eligible for the booster, whether it's a 21-day um, Moderna or a 28-day um, BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine. But it's supposed to be at the same place where you got your yes, first shot. Yes, no mix and match. Yeah. So, okay, a uh, quick email. What would you say to people who are still resisting the vaccine because they keep looking at sites advocating resistance and not so much sites supporting the safety and efficacy of the vaccines? How do we get through to them? Well... I mean, we can say that there are 60 million Americans who have, or 60 million vaccines that have been administered in this country. Um, that's a pretty good data set. Um, and though this is certainly the most um, studied um, and talked about uh, medication rollout in the history of this country, perhaps with the exception of polio, which fortunately happened before the internet, um, we haven't really seen any significant adverse outcomes. There have been a few of the 60 million doses administered, a few people, and I'm talking a very few people, who unfortunately died from probable effects of the vaccine. Um, there have been more than a few um, people who've had an anaphylactic reaction, um, all of whom were readily managed by the healthcare people who stand around watching to make sure this doesn't happen. Um, and that's kind of it. Um, there may be a handful of autoimmune diseases, such as the um, Bell's palsy or the Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, but there really haven't been any um, long-term effects of this vaccine that we have seen. Um, now, the skeptic is going to say, yes, but we only started giving these in December December 15th or thereabout. Um, yeah, that is true. Um, but the way we, the way the immune system operates, we know that the the immune response triggered by the vaccine um, is going to have its effect certainly within um, two to three weeks. And we're talking sort of the very rare autoimmune um, neurologic conditions that you can see from a vaccine. That's going to happen within two to three weeks of the vaccine. Um, and we we're well past the window of starting to pick up that kind of a data set, and we're just not seeing it. And like uh, you said about why you do this show, you said uh, when there isn't good information, people will fill it in with bad information. Yes. So uh, get and, get people good information. And, and, and there's also just, you know, there's a wane of risk, right? I mean, we know that half a million people have died of COVID in this country, or more, really. Um, and when we talk about 525,000 deaths in this country in one year from one controllable illness um, versus you know, maybe a handful of people who have died from the medication treatment that stops people from dying from this illness, those relative risks are, you know, it's not even close, right? It's it's really, it's it, it's as though, it's comparable to saying you're having a heart attack. Oh, I'm not sure I want to take an aspirin because it gives me a headache um, kind of analysis magnified by 100,000. Um, and so it's it, the, the, the wane of risks is so far in favor of getting the shot um, that reluctance is really simply, I think, at this point, still just um, not understanding the science, which has been as clear as mud, to be sure, um, and public health messaging, which has been all over the place, you know, led by our fearless government. True. All right, let's take another call. It's 895-2448. This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX. Hello, caller. Thanks for waiting. Oh, well. <laughs> Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, a couple questions. Um, one is, if you're 84 and you have a chronic immune disorder, supposedly, um, 
would you have worse side effects from the Pfizer second dose? A second question would be, um, have you heard, did, nothing came of the doctor's group that went before the Senate um, doing their research with ivermectin used to treat malaria. I wonder whatever happened to that. If, and um, there was a third question, but who knows what it was now. Okay, I'll take the answer off the air. Yeah, so the the question about the, the side effects from the second dose of Pfizer or the second dose of Moderna, because the side effects are more or less comparable. There might be some very fine granular differences in some of the toweling that we might see months or years from now, but essentially they have the same sort of um, side effect or effect profile. Um, in an 84-year-old... Um, in general, those effects are going to be less um, than in a younger um, person. So that's good. Um, as for the autoimmune condition, um, that should not lead to either a greater or lesser risk of having um, better or worse side effects. Uh, that, that just It's not going to affect how your immune system makes you feel as it recognizes and responds to this booster shot. Um, the ivermectin um, data is not particularly encouraging. Um, I don't anticipate that we're going to see that rolling out anytime soon. I hadn't followed the the governmental hearings on this drug, um, but it's right up there in the sort of miracle drug of hydroxychloroquine um, category of drugs. Um, and so, right down there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I just don't think people are going to um, be administered ivermectin to help minimize risk of COVID anytime soon. It's also a fairly dangerous drug, um, and so it would have to show a very robust safety uh, profile and eff very high efficacy, which we aren't even close to seeing, um, not even one little iota. So, no, I think we can stop following the ivermectin um, saga, if you will. Okay, well, that uh, that leads right into this email question. I'm 76 and I've had both jabs. I had almost no reaction to either, just a wee bit of soreness at the injection site for 12 hours. Does that mean my immune system didn't react and I'm not immune or very weakly so? Yes, good good question, right? So people, it's two sides of the coin here. People are concerned that they're going to have a lot of a reaction to the, to the booster shot and then, oh no, you don't have any reaction at all. Does that mean it didn't work? The answer is no. Um, it did work. Um, you know, the vaccine is extremely well cared for in its transit. Um, it's very closely monitored um, in essentially real time by healthcare personnel. It is brought up and thawed and administered in a closely synchronized process. Um, and so the the probability that you got some sort of attenuated or denatured or inactivated vaccine is vanishingly small. Um, the Obverse, um, uh, or another consideration to um, think about is the probability, the significant probability that you have very good immunity just from one um, one vaccine administration, one dose of these two dose vaccines. We don't know that because that's not what was studied, but the data is showing that actually you get very good immunity from just one dose. So the probability that you would get a one-two jab, both of which are um, somehow ineffective um, is mathematically implausible at best. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, just <laughs> just consider yourself fortunate to have had a mild to no, to no reaction. And frankly, a very sore arm tells you that you got something that had some biologic action. The needle itself is not going to make your arm sore, um, and nor would an injection of what would essentially just be saline. 
All right, let's take, I think we have time for one more call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi there. I have one comment and two questions, and then I'll go off the air. So, quick comment that another reason for people to mask up outside in public spots, even after they have been vaccinated, is just that whole dividing everyone into two groups of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Probably easier for everyone to keep masking if it's not one group gets not to and one group has to. That's the comment. Indeed. And then the two questions are, um, any idea when house, what tier house cleaners are going to fall into Ooh, um, I, for I, vaccines? And my other question is, any idea when they might be done testing, being able to give vaccines to children? Yeah. And thank you, and I'll go off the air. Yes, I don't. I don't have the the projected tiers in front of me to um, answer your first question definitively. So while while Alicia looks into that um, very quickly, um, the second question about vaccinating children um, that's that's likely going to start. We're going to start to see the data from those studies probably sometime in April um, and. You know, whether that translates to some children starting vaccinations um, in May or as far as June, um, I don't know yet. But I think it will be certainly by very early summer when we start to see some kids vaccinated. The biotech Pfizer vaccine is actually approved down to the age of 16. So we are, in fact, seeing juveniles vaccinated um, with that one particular vaccine um, if they are 16 or older. So. That's that's kind of where things stand with pediatric vaccines. As for house cleaners, I I don't know. Um, I, I don't have the tiered schedule in front of me. I'm not even sure if they are on the tiered schedule. So I suspect that house cleaners are going to probably qualify for vaccination under some other metric um, rather than that employment um, uh, qualification. I, I, I'm just not sure that I rec- recollect ever seeing um, that type of a job qualifying for the vaccine. I am not finding it, yeah. so sorry about that. So, you know, your, your house, a house cleaner is of certain age um, and may or may not have certain health care conditions, and I, I suspect that that's when that individual would get vaccinated, not by virtue of um, working as, as a house cleaner. All right, so we are coming down to the wire here. We have to say goodbye at 3.59 exactly to make... Well, we have one minute and four, 15 seconds. Yes, and we watch the clock very closely here yeah. in the Philo studio, and I want to say happy International Women's Day to everyone and also mention that we are in our quiet drive uh, here on KZYX this is when we don't bombard you with requests to to join we're not in a a pledge drive full stop but we are in a quiet drive where we just ask you frequently to please join the station very quietly yes very quietly no no big whoop just please join the station you can do that by going to kzyx.org and clicking the donate button or calling us here at the station at 895-2324 and we can take your pledge and tell you about all the thank you gifts and all of that if you appreciate the local coronavirus update and dr drew coming in every week please show your support by joining the station please do we need to keep the lights on here we do we need to keep talking about COVID. so with that thanks drew Thank you, Alicia. Thank you, callers. We will see you next Monday. Next Monday, I will be mostly heard, but seen by you. You've been listening.
listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.